Today on Ag News Daily. We're so short on some of these chips that are required and the different parts that are required to actually build these machines. So that that in itself is causing some difficulties. And I think that has to do with why maybe we're not seeing some of these brands fake and new things on the lot here. Good afternoon and happy Friday from the Ag News Daily family. It's Ashton Carr and Delaney Howell on this installment of the show. Delaney, how's your Friday going? It is going pretty well. Moving a little slowly today, I've got to admit, after traveling, it takes a little bit out of you to get back in the swing of things. Oh, I definitely feel that. It took me a minute to really get back into my groove after traveling earlier this week. So I completely understand. I won't give you any crap for it. I'll just let it slide. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, Delaney, my first little bit that I wanted to talk about today, I actually had a quick question for you. Okay. What's your question? Do you play Wordle? I don't, but I kind of know what it is. It's kind of like words with friends, right? Or Scrabble. Something similar. Yes. It's a a New York Times thing. You know, whenever people really had hard copies of the New York Times, I feel like they were always doing the the little games that they had on the paper. But this is on the New York Times website and you have to do a five letter word. And then it tells you like what word or what letters are in it, if they're in the right spot. And you just have six guesses to guess the daily word. And honestly, it has taken over my life. So I don't really, is it like a crossword puzzle? So you start off by submitting a five letter word. So for instance, if you submit chain, it'll tell you which letters are in the actual word for the day. So say A and N are actually in there, but A is not in the right spot. So A will light up yellow and N is in the correct spot. So it'll light up green. So then you have like clues on, you know, where letters are supposed to be and what the word's supposed to be. I'm not doing a fantastic job of describing what it is, but it's really fun. A good brain teaser for when I first wake up in the morning. So I didn't know if you were in the Wordle realm, but it has definitely made my brain think over the past couple of days. I'm going to have to physically open this and see this for myself because I'm having a hard time picturing it, but I keep seeing people making memes and tweeting and talking about it. So I really like word games like this. So I think I just need to physically see it myself. Is it free to use? Yes, it is free. So that's another plus. Okay. I'll, I'll definitely have to check this out because now I feel like I'm way behind the times on it. <laughs> well, hopefully you can get caught up here soon because I like discussing it with my friends. If they had trouble guessing the word of the day, if they didn't, if they even got the word of the day, because you only get, I think, six tries, but it's a whole lot of fun in my opinion. Okay. I'll check it out. Is it, do they have an app for it or do I have to go on a website? No, just look up Wordle and it'll take you right to the New York Times website. Okay, I'll check this out. Hopefully our listeners are a little more tech savvy with this and understand how to use it because obviously I don't. But Ashton, I tell you what, we better hop into some news for today. And I want to kick things off here with a bit of serious news. So sorry, we're transitioning, doing a complete 180, talking about Wordle to Ukraine-Russia tensions. But U.S. Secretary of State Blinken and Russian Foreign Minister Lov are going to meet next week in an attempt to prevent any more escalation between Russia and Ukraine. 
And I forgot to mention this. We forgot to mention this on the podcast Wednesday or Thursday. We've had this sitting in our inbox now for two days, Ashton. But Dawson, who we've had on the podcast, who's co-hosted and done some reporting for us, had, I think, some sort of school meeting with Ambassador Branstead the other night. He was sitting in front of a room of room full of students. And so they got to ask him kind of uncanned questions, it sounds like. And Dawson had texted us to see if we had any questions for him to ask. And I did. I wanted to know what did he think about these Russian-Ukraine relationships, especially, you know, what does China's involvement look like? And so he had this to share. He said that China's goal has always been to reunite Taiwan with the mainland, and China's leaders have always thought of Taiwan as a long-term goal and continue to wait for what they're saying is the right moment. So Branstead apparently said that the National People's Congress is gearing up to reappoint a president, and it's likely going to remain President Xi because there is no other candidate and they have obviously no term limits. So President Xi is going to spend another five years in presidency. And he said that in those five years, China is likely going to expedite the goal of taking Taiwan over. And what's more interesting to me, Ashton, is that Russia-Ukraine tensions are likely going to be a trigger or some sort of diversion so that when that happens or if if that happens, China might take advantage of that opportunity and potentially invade Taiwan or work to reunite, as they say, Taiwan with the mainland. So he said he thinks the U.S. is really going to have to show their strength to deter any invasion and that it would definitely have considerable impacts worldwide. But he said that the recent pullout from Afghanistan certainly was not a demonstration of strength. So he said he's a little nervous, but the recent recent discussions between Putin and Xi are definitely at odds with Western countries. So we got a lot of interesting information there in that couple of little sound bites that Dawson sent over to us. And certainly... I think leaves a lot of question marks, but the fact that he said President Xi might use Russian-Ukraine tensions as a trigger or a scapegoat uh, does not surprise me. Blaine and I have been talking about this a lot, and we kind of actually said a similar thing that we could see that happening. So certainly interesting, to say the least. I definitely agree with you there, Delaney, that it's it's pretty interesting. And, you know, I've said it before that I don't enjoy conflict or anything. I, of course, think that it's inevitable, especially in some situations such as this. But I think that by having these kinds of conversations and looking at different points of view, all that stuff definitely eases my nerves a little bit, just so we kind of know what might happen. Look at all the possibilities. I think that that's really important as we examine this situation. But moving forward here, I have another piece of global news, this time coming out of Argentina. We've been talking about drought and weather down in South America, and it's not looking too hot for Argentina right now, as there has been some fires that has scarred farmlands and has killed some protected animals and plants in this province of Argentina. More than $234 million has already been lost due to these fires. And the 
The province produces fruit, livestock, and other ag products, so I'm sure that we're going to see some damages assessed here in the near future. I'm, I think they're still trying to get these fires stopped. I think that they're still going right now, but they have burned over 6% of the entire province that it's in, so that's really unfortunate. So my heart does go out to those producers, you know, although we are in competition with Argentina, you know, you never want this to happen to your own land. So my heart goes out to them and I hope that they can get these fires stopped here soon. Yeah. And the markets are certainly going to give that some attention to see how that impacts production. And is, are those fires, is that farmland that they're, you know, partially on Ashton? It's, it's partially on that. Yes. It's a, a pretty big wetland region of okay. Argentina. Oh, you said that. But, um, you know, there is some farmland still that is being damaged when it comes to livestock, fruits and vegetables, those kinds of things. So I'm not sure exactly what of that 6% that has been damaged from these fires is ag land, but I do know that a portion of it is attributed to agriculture. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Well, Bayer has of earlier this week, of course, announced that glyphosate may be in short demand, but they've also announced that they're developing some new products to help with a herbicide mode of action. They've developed a new post-emergence row crop herbicide with a new mode of action slated for commercialization, not until the end of the decade. So that was a little bit of a misleading headline when I was reading through that this morning, Ashton. But if all goes according to plan and regulatory controls are received, this would be the first commercialization of a new herbicide mode of action in row crops since the late 1990s, which I thought was astonishing that here we are with all this new technology in the equipment space with autonomous tractors in different ways to manage risk and track risk and do all these other things in agriculture. But this is the first time that we've seen a herbicide with a new mode of action since the 90s. Astonishing to me. Yeah, I saw that headline yesterday, I think, or it might have been earlier today. Who knows? I'm not good at keeping up with time. But I didn't quite understand what was going on there. So I didn't want to report on it, but I'm glad that we have you to do those kinds of things and pick up where I lack. But moving on here, I have a piece of news or really an update coming from the U.S. banning imports of Mexican avocados. I thought that this might take a little bit more time to get resolved, but the USDA announced earlier today that its avocado inspection program in Mexico has restarted and avocado exports to the U.S. have now resumed. Moving forward, the USDA is going to be working closely with the U.S. Embassy and Mexico's Regional Security Officer, Mexico's National Plant Protection Organization, and the Association of Avocado Producers and Packers Exporters of Mexico have enacted additional measures that enhance safety for APHIS inspectors working in the field following that threat that we saw earlier this month back on February 11th. So the safety of USDA employees that are just doing their jobs is of paramount importance that has been reported. So looks like USDA is taking this pretty seriously and moving forward. They're going to do more to protect their workers. And I saw that it was reported, you know, uh, allegedly that this threat came from 
um, the cartel. I don't know if that's true, but that is just what I had heard. So of course, you know, the cartel is pretty big down there in Mexico. So it didn't come as too big of a surprise, but I don't know if that's really going to be a too large of an issue moving forward. I certainly don't have a lot of insight into that yet either, Ashton. So we'll continue to watch that one. But I've got a little bit of fun news here. I can't believe we haven't reported on this, or maybe we have and I've just forgotten. But um, you know this, you know the campaign, the marketing campaign, beef, it's what's for dinner, right, Ashton? You're not too young to not know that campaign. Yes, I I know what you're talking about. Okay. That was largely done for a long time by Sam Elliott with his big mustache. And of course, he's in 1883, very Western actor. He's in a lot of that type of stuff with the ranch. And well, they have a new spokesperson for their new relaunch of beef. It's what's for dinner. I think this is really cool that they've picked this person, but Tony Romo, who is of course, a former Dallas Cowboys football player is the new face of the spokesperson or the new spokesperson, I should say for the beef. It's what's for dinner campaign. I have not seen that Delaney. And honestly, I'm a little shocked that they went with Romo. Okay. Well, why? I don't know him well enough. Obviously you would being from Texas. I mean, I I was really young when Tony Romo had his reign with the Dallas Cowboys, but I don't know. I'm just surprised they went with Tony Romo. Maybe not someone who's super big in agriculture, but Hey, I guess they're appealing to a larger demographic than they are. So I guess I can understand, but I haven't seen anything yet. So I won't give my full review of what I think of this, but I'm definitely going to be looking into some of this marketing material. Um, well, so I, I kind of think it's a great idea. One on a side note, Tony Romo is very handsome, Ashton. So I can see why they would pick him as the face being a former quarterback and NFL player. But I think it is, like you're saying, appealing to a larger demographic. And I think it's really neat because there are definitely some pro athletes that are not pro agriculture, pro meat. So I like that they're combining forces with a big entity like the NFL to say, hey, football players in the NFL obviously need to eat beef or eat a high quality protein diet to be these extremely great athletes. So I don't know. I'm guessing that's probably kind of the marketing angle they're going with in this. But I think it's really, really interesting. I would agree with you there, Delaney. I'm excited for this new rollout. And of course, I love beef. So I am a big fan of the beef. It's what's for dinner brand. And, you know, I I copied them a little bit one time. I wrote an article about meat and meat substitutes. And I said, meat, is it really what's for dinner? And so I I take pride in that. So I, I love the beef brand. Excited for that next step, Delaney. But Other than that, I don't really have a whole lot of news. I wanted to hit on this last thing before we hopped into markets here, because you and I have been talking a ton about the Freedom Convoy, which is Canada and the US, their truckers and you know them taking a stance against the COVID-19 mandates. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in our interview today, but I wanted to share this piece of news because it also features a Texas Tech University agronomist, Sun Hung Lim. 
but he talked a little bit about the Freedom Convoy and said that Canadian shipments of meat and dairy products, along with fresh fruits, vegetables, and prepared foods from the U.S. felt immediate impacts. He said that the blockade is not just a COVID issue. Lim told Brownfield Ag News the blockade signals a building of trade tensions between nations with many supporters of Canada's Conservative Party taking part and supported by U.S. Republicans. While many Republican supporters came from ag communities, Lim says they are the first to feel unintended consequences with ag trade being the most disproportionately impacted. He was quoted as saying that dramatically and directly affects our agribusinesses. He adds that while the protest has dispersed, there is still the possibility of more in the future at either side of the border or even with Mexico, which would directly hit ag trade first. But I thought that this was an interesting perspective because we really haven't talked about the impacts on ag businesses or impact of trade when it comes to these kinds of things. So I just wanted to share that bit of news with you today, Delaney. Fantastic, Ashton. Well, I tell you what, I've not looked at a ton of news aside from that. So I will be done sharing news for today aside from the markets. Well, Delaney, before we do get into where markets ended for today, let's take a break and hear from our sponsor for today's podcast, FMC. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Well, Ashton, as we take a look at the markets today, we certainly have some green on the screen. And I believe we've clawed our way back to gains now on the week after we had a little bit of a bloodbath Monday and Tuesday. But today, March corn closed four and a quarter cent higher at 640, excuse me, 655 and a quarter. Dece of a penny and a quarter closing at 6597 and three quarters. In the soybean pits today, the March contract added nine and a half cents to close at 1601 and a half. November added three pennies to close at 1463 and three quarters. Wheat was lower on the day as the March contract shed a penny closing at 797. The Dece down a quarter of a cent closing at 806 and three quarters. Livestock today had some weakness as well after yesterday's weakness that continued into today. April live cattle down 90 cents to close at 145.87. The June down 65 cents to close at 141.50. And in feeder cattle today, you look out to the May and beyond and there is some strength, but the short-term front month contracts showed weakness. March today down 77 and a half cents, closing at 165.42. The April down 30, closing at a buck 70. In lean hogs, they had continued strength today as the April contract added a dollar eighty-two and a half to close at one hundred nine forty. The May up two hundred two, closing at one thirteen thirty-five. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. March today up two pennies to close at twenty-two thirty-seven. The April down three to close at twenty-two eighty-three. Without further ado, Ashton, let's get over to today's conversation.
Well, for today's Friday interview, we are talking to Kara Oosterhaus, who's a field editor for Real Ag, and she is joining us live at the National Farm Machinery Show, live in Louisville, Kentucky. So if you hear any background noise, folks, do cut us some slack because we are working with a field editor after all. But Kara, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. Oh, thanks very much for having me, Ashton. It's always uh, always great to chat about what we're seeing across the world. Well, you traveled all the way from Canada to Louisville for the Farm Machinery Show. So what was that experience like? You know, we were chatting a little bit beforehand that you have done some traveling to the U.S. post-pandemic, maybe mid-pandemic, because we're not quite out of the woods yet here, but what was doing some traveling like and really getting back out into the world? Yeah, you bet. So I come from Southern Alberta. I'm in, I uh, live on an acreage just outside of a small town called Bow Island. Um, for those of you that maybe follow, I'm about three hours from Calgary. So Southern, Southern Alberta, I am in uh, a dry, dry area. And I was just saying uh, to you, Ashton, before we actually came on live, I'm standing outside right now because uh, I'm just marveling at the fact that it has been pouring rain since Oh man, like 6 a.m. this morning, and I have not seen rain in years. Like, I've seen like spitting, but it is, uh, it's quite exciting that way. The farmer in me is like, oh my gosh, look, it's rain. So uh, that's that's been good. But uh, yeah, the experience to get down here is, uh, it's, it's not so bad to get down here. I came via plane, I flew out of Calgary to Denver, to Kentucky here, to Louisville, but uh, it's, it's getting back. That's the tough part because Canada is still requiring the PCR test. So those are the ones that usually take a bit of time to come back. It's uh, you have to have it within 72 hours. So for those of us traveling business, it's not really ideal because how many, how many business trips are you on that last more than three days? Hardly that doesn't happen all that often. So you're, you're, trying to get these tests done as and it's uh you get here and you basically land and you're like okay now where can I find a test to get back home so that's uh that's what makes it a little bit tricky but it's uh it's not the end of the world to be honest it it sucks it's not as it's not as fun as traveling was pre-pandemic but it's it's doable and we definitely can figure out how to get it done Well, I am glad that you're there because we wanted to talk to somebody who is actually at the show just to see what's going on, what kind of pieces of equipment you're seeing. So I think my first thing that I really want to talk about, since you you are a producer, what's something that you've seen or gotten from the show that you're really excited about that's coming down the pipeline? To be honest, it's, I wouldn't say something that's brand new, but what's really caught my eye is spot spraying technology. It seems like, you know, there used to just be some spot spraying. You'd see it here and there, and it seems like, oh man, you go down an aisle and there's, there seems to be at least be one booth per aisle that has to do with spot spraying. And it's uh, quite fascinating, especially as, like I said, we, like in Canada, I know we have these issues in the States too, but as a producer in Canada, we're constantly looking at herbicide resistance. We're looking at dealing with, you know, we have tons and tons of kochia and wild oats and, and things that are all 
really resistant to some of the chemicals we have. So we look at, okay, or, and if they're not resistant, they're on their way and we're looking at all sorts of glyphosate resistance coming. And I mean, right now, look, we're having a hard time even getting our hands on glyphosate. So it's, I mean, that's a whole nother thing, but we're, the, the spot spring technology really has us looking because we think, okay, how can we, how can we reduce the amount we're spraying and how can we make the most out of what we're spraying, not just blanket spraying everything. So I, I really do find this spot spraying technology fascinating. And I, I think it's not such a far off idea anymore. I think, I think it's something that we'll see in the next five, 10 years. Most people have spot spraying technology. Well, Kara, before we get to my next question here, going to put a quick pause on our conversation to hear from today's sponsor. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. So another thing that we've really been seeing in the ag tech industry is autonomy. I mean, we just saw John Deere release their autonomous tractor earlier this year. And I think that more and more people have been talking about AI, robotics, autonomous equipment for some time now. And I think that we're really starting to see some things roll out. So has there been an increase of autonomous equipment that you've seen this week? Not so much here. Um, I did see down at, I mean, this probably has to do with the fact that the show is inside. So we're seeing a lot of more of the, the medium sized tractors. There are some bigger ones, but not as many here as uh, I was down in Farm Progress at, or at Farm Progress show in Decatur, Illinois in August of this year. And there's a lot more autonomy I've seen there. I think just because we have availability to have this space to actually show and demo these uh, these autonomous tractors. But we definitely are, you're hearing a lot of murmuring about it and hearing a lot of talking about it. But I, right now, I actually, uh, I've talked to a lot of suppliers here and or dealers here. And the struggle was getting machinery here because there's just, moving everything with the supply chains right now is so difficult and we're so short on some of these chips that are required and the different parts that are required to actually build these machines. So that that in itself is causing some difficulties. And I think that has to do with why maybe we're not seeing some of these brands fake and new things on the lot here. And you make some really great points there that we're seeing a lot of issues when it comes to the supply chain, you know, the chip shortage and really just some other bottlenecks that we have been talking about here on the podcast for what feels like years now. And I know that that might not be the case, but we've just been having conversation after conversation, repeating the same headlines over and over again. So are you seeing an increase in conversation about, you know, what we can do to improve or anything of that nature when it comes to some of these supply chain issues, how we can solve it? Yeah, to be honest, I haven't heard a lot of 
I mean, I've heard a lot of discussion on it, but I don't know if anyone really has solutions. I think, I mean, there's a lot of, the container issue is huge. That's causing a lot of shipping problems. And and how do we solve that? I don't know. I don't know if anyone really has an answer to that. I know there's certainly, every. it seems like every booth I go to, that is one of the first things they say, ah, we don't have the, we don't have what we wanted to showcase here because we just were not able to get it here. So that's difficult. And then, I mean, we've got all sorts of uh, cross-border issues, even between Canada and the U.S. right now with trucking and moving things because of the unvaccinated truckers not being able to cross. So that in itself, I think, is causing a lot of slowdown. And I, I really think that you hit the nail on the head there. And that's something that I wanted to talk about as well, since, you know, you are a Canadian on maybe some things that you had heard while you were at the show or just hearing around your neck of the woods of really what's going on up there when it comes to our truckers. Yeah, when it comes to our truckers, it's it, it's a tough conversation to have because I don't know if people are necessarily it's not something that we can kind of have an objective conversation about because there are so many strong opinions on all sides of this conversation I do think we have to somehow come to some sort of agreement to be able to move our commodities back and forth because like realistically there is so much movement between the borders that we've got to figure out a way to get through it and I don't know what the answer is but uh, I know certainly it is of discussion and certainly right now it does not seem I know I think last I read there was 16 uh, U.S. governors that were pushing the Canadian government to actually change these mandates and there's numerous premiers that are changing uh, the Saskatchewan premier and Alberta premier are as well encouraging the Canadian prime minister Justin Trudeau to actually get rid of these mandates but it's right now it doesn't seem like that's going to happen and I know Ottawa right now is uh, the capital city of Canada is still under uh, there's still trucks lined up in the in in the city and they're trying to make the prime minister hear them so where we will go in the next couple of weeks i i do not know but uh it is yeah like i said it's it's kind of a tough one to discuss because everyone's everyone seems to have some thoughts on it and i can tell you it's it's kind of interesting to be down here because it seems like every cab i hop into everyone you talk to they go oh my gosh you're from canada what is going on with those truckers <laughs> and I hate to be one of those people, but I think that it's an interesting conversation to have. And I feel like we haven't seen anything like this really in, in my lifetime, but kind of getting back to the show and talking about some machinery trends, what do you see, you know, coming down the pipeline? Do you have any predictions on some trends that we're going to see in ag tech here in the near future? No, I don't know if I have any predictions per se, but I know there are some new, uh, so there's some new plants and drills from Case IH, uh, a lot of precision planting we are seeing. Um, I know uh, when we're looking at our Canadian audience, I know your audience isn't Canadian, but we're looking and there's a lot of uh, planting now being done with canola that we're looking at and uh, how we can move forward with that. So we're seeing lots of those trends, I think, Precision planting isn't new, but it's something we're we're seeing a lot more of, and we're seeing how 
how can this be implemented into your operation? How can you implement all these precision ag tools into your operation? And how can you make it work with rural internet connectivity? Because I don't know what you guys hear, but that's a huge struggle for us back uh, back at home in Canada that uh, – getting this actual you can have all the tools but if you can't connect to the internet it's not going to help you yeah that's certainly something that we've been talking about here in the U.S. for some time now and it's you know something that was a part of some stuff coming out from the Biden administration but I feel like we really haven't talked on it in a long time so you kind of just brought that up back for us so I really appreciate that appreciate that Kara but once again thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today especially live from the show Absolutely. It was great to be able to chat with you. And as I am standing here, the rain has started pouring even harder. So uh, I've been singing, I've been singing the Elvis Kentucky rain all day. And uh, I know everyone here is probably rolling their eyes, but as a Canadian, it's, uh, it's been fun. Thanks again there to Kara for joining us live from the National Farm Machinery Show. You know, Delaney, I don't know if you've tried to say machinery show out loud before, but it takes up a lot of enunciation to really get that out clear. Yes, it is a tongue twister. A little bit. You're really correct there, Delaney. But unfortunately, this is our last episode of the week, but we will be coming back next week on Tuesday with more Ag News Daily content. So folks can tune in at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let him go.